Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Good morning, church. And welcome back from your holiday. I trust you all had a restful time, a blessed Christmas, a restful time with your family, and you were ready to embark on a journey. Amen? I trust you don't need another holiday after the holiday. It usually is the case, though. Uh, just to satisfy your curiosity in case you ask, why has the pastor got this patch over his eye? Well, I, I will be brief. Most of you know, early September, uh, my left eyelid started drooping. So I went to the doctor to cut a long story short. After various tests, they put me into hospital, x-rays and MRIs and all of that. They uh, discovered what they call myasthenia gravis. It comes from a Greek word and a Latin word. The first one is myasthenia means weakness, and gravis means heavy. What it does, it causes, is, the nerve weakens, and it causes the eyelid to droop. And it also produces a double vision or a blurred vision. Well, I started believing God, exercising my faith, and God did a miraculous work on my left eye. I was healed. I was restored perfectly. No problem. No double vision, no blurred vision, no drooping eyelid. And then a couple of days before Christmas, the right eye was infected. And so I have the patch now because God is at work healing and restoring my right eye. So if somebody asks you what's wrong with the pastor, why has he got a patch over his eye, you tell them he is, um, he is covering the right eye because God is at work restoring it and healing it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, are we ready for the word? Yes. Yes. I see my brother here has his journal ready to take notes. I like that. And uh, it's a good habit to develop, to bring your Bibles, either the paper Bible or the digital Bible, and to bring a notebook, because you may hear something, and you don't want to miss it, you don't want to forget it. I find that when I take notes, I retain far more efficiently than just listening without taking notes. Amen. The title of my message this morning is... The most honorable pursuit. The most honorable pursuit. And if you can put it up on the screen, I would appreciate it. If not, don't worry about it. The most honorable pursuit. As is my custom, towards the end of the year and beginning of the new year, I take time to prayerfully wait on the Lord in order to hear and to receive some form of direction so that I may know what to focus on, what to pursue, 
what has the Lord God in store for me, for my family, and so that I may align my thoughts, my heart, my attitude with God's will, with God's thoughts, with God's heart. And so, as I did that, I was led to several scriptures that the Holy Spirit seemed to brought uh, to mind and center my attention on these scriptures, and I'm going to give them to you in a while. So, you may want to jot them down or read them from, from, uh, from the overhead. So, the first one is found in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And through these, script, through these verses of Scripture, I began to understand. It was as though God was saying to me, instead of, instead of putting forth your desires or what you would like to see during the year, or what you would pursue, why not ask me what is my desire for you? What is my will for you? What, what am I passionate about so that you can align your heart with mine? Well, as I asked the Lord, these are the scriptures that he brought to my attention. And I believe this is God's passionate desire not just for you and I, but for every human being on the face of the earth. The first one is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty men glory in his might, nor let the rich men glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. The second one is found in Hosea chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 3 and verse 6. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burned offerings. And the last one I was directed to is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through to 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and among other things, he expresses the desire of his heart. And he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness 
which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. As we can clearly see through these verses of Scripture, one message is repeated again and again. Can you guess what that is? What is the message that these verses of Scripture are communicating? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The understanding of God's ways. Pursuing the knowledge of God. Paul said that I may what? Know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Now, let's make one thing clear, that when we speak about the knowledge of God, we're not speaking about intellectual knowledge. Amen? We're not speaking about head knowledge. The kind of knowledge that the word is referred to here is an experiential knowledge. It is a knowledge that bypasses the intellect and gets into the realm of revelation knowledge, of understanding and knowing God in his person and attributes. What he means is to know God is to experience the love of God which passes knowledge. Amen? Not to know about God. A lot of people know about God. But very few truly experience the love of God because God is love. And Paul talks about to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And to know God, it also means to know the joy of the Lord. And Peter describes that as unspeakable and full of glory. A person who knows God is always joyful. And his joy is not dependent on his circumstances, not, not on, on what goes on around him, not how he feels, but his joy is dependent upon the knowledge of God. He knows God loves him. Therefore, that changes his entire life. He's no longer afraid. He's no longer anxious. He's no longer worried. He's no longer burdensome. He's wrapped up in this wonderful love of God. And to know God, it also means to know the peace of God, to experience that peace that passes all understanding, Paul says. That's the kind of knowledge that we are speaking about. Amen? To experience his attributes, his mercy, his goodness, his patience, his love, his gentleness, his goodness, and his meekness. And this is, I believe, the most honorable pursuit of every human being on the face of the earth. To know God and to know Him intimately and to love Him passionately. You see, the more you know God, 
the more you love him. Because he's a lovable being. You cannot help but love God when you know him. And that is God's passionate desire for you and I. And for every human being. And so is to have an experience to pursue the knowledge of God and to understand his ways. You know, the children of Israel saw his works, but they never understood the ways of God. That's why they were always complaining. They didn't know God. Moses knew God, but the children of Israel didn't know him. They experienced his provision, they experienced his protection, but they didn't know him. And many believers today know God's provision, know the goodness of God, or they have had some kind of, of, of provision or some kind of a miracle in their lives. And they approach him on the basis of what he does rather than of who he is. There are two dimensions of knowledge. The one is we worship God because of what he does. We praise him because of what he does, and that's wonderful, that's good. But there is another dimension of knowledge that I believe God wants us to attain to, and that is we worship him on the basis of who he is as a person. We approach him not because of his blessing, but because we cannot help but desire to be with him and to love him with all of our hearts. It's not a chore to spend time with God. It's not a burden to pray to Him. Amen? It's not a burden to go to church and to fellowship with God with other believers. It is a joyful experience because it is birthed out of knowing God intimately and loving Him passionately. You see, this kind of knowledge changes everything about our lives. It changes the way you view life. It changes the way you view other people. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you approach God. And this is why I believe this is the most honorable pursuit. Because when you know God that way, you have everything. Amen? And that's the type of knowledge or the kind of knowledge or the depth of understanding I believe that God wants us to move into. So no matter what happens around us, no matter what goes on, regardless, good or bad, we have reached a place where we are so at rest and content. Just like Paul says, I have learned to be content in every circumstance of life, in every state that I'm in, when I'm hungry and when I'm full, when I'm rich and when I'm poor. I'm content. I made peace with it. Why? Because he was so wrapped up in this wonderful love of God, in the presence of the Lord, that he was no longer influenced by his five physical senses. There's a scripture in the book of Romans that I love so much, and I, I apply it also to my own situation where the Word of God says, Abraham was not weak in faith, and because he was not weak in faith, 
He considered not his own body. When you reach a place where you do not consider how you feel, but you consider the promise of God. He did not even consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, he said. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Amen? So many of us, including myself, continue to live according and governed by our five physical senses. What we see, what we feel, what we smell. But there is another dimension of living. Amen? And sometimes you forget you have a body because you're so immersed into the Spirit and into the presence of God. You have such communion with the Father in the Spirit you have befriended the Holy Spirit to such an extent where you know that you know that you know. You live in another world. You live and you walk in the world of the Spirit. The Bible says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. Amen? On another dimension where the lusts and the pulls of this world, the temptations of this world, no longer are able to pull us down because we've reached a level in our knowledge of God that we live above it. The Bible says that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we become partakers of the divine nature. Escaping, what? The corruption in the world through lust. We escape what? The corruption. We escape the decay. We escape the curse of the law. Why? Because through the word we have become partakers of God's divine nature. Is God anxious? No. Is God fearful? Of course not. The scripture says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Can you, can you imagine that? The natural mind cannot fathom that. As he is, the Bible says, we are members of his body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. For he that is joined unto the Lord is what? One spirit. You can say amen. Amen. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to give us. It revolutionizes our entire existence. Amen. That's why the Bible calls us peculiar people. Royal priesthood. Ambassadors of God. Living in this natural body. And through our lives and our influence, we extend and establish the influence of God's kingdom in our spheres of authority. Amen? Amen. The scripture teaches that this kind of knowledge and understanding that I'm teaching you today is far more precious than silver and gold. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 15 says, It is more precious than rubies 
and all the things we may desire cannot be compared with this kind of knowledge. It is freely given, but it is not cheap. It will cost you everything you are and everything you have. The Apostle Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things, the things that he counted as gain, prestige, titles, worldly influence, heritage, nationality. He says, all those things, there was a time that I considered more precious than anything else. But when I came to Christ, I considered those things as rubbish. I have suffered the loss of all those things so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but the righteousness which is of God through faith. You know, as my heart cries out, for more of the knowledge of God and the understanding of His ways. I want to reach. That's speaking for me now. I'm not speaking for the church or my ministry or anything. Speaking for me, I want to reach a dimension of knowledge and understanding of God and His ways that I never understood before. And I cannot keep wondering, what is that going to cost me? What will I be required to lose or sacrifice in order to gain this wonderful knowledge of God? You know, the Word of God says, my people perish for a lack of what? Of knowledge. It's not more money you need. It's not more power. It's not more health. It's not more joy. What you need is more knowledge. Because the lack of the knowledge of God is what destroys people. And the word says, if you reject this knowledge, God has no choice but to reject you. Hosea chapter 4 says, because you've rejected knowledge, I have also rejected you from being a priest unto me. Can you understand that? May God give us such a heart, such a desire that we will seek after the knowledge of God more than anything else in our lives. You see, God wants you and I to reach a place where we depend on nothing else but Him. And I've realized this, the more you have, the less you depend on God. Let me give you an example. You have a headache. Today we have so much. Oh, you go and grab two aspirins to cure your headache. But you know, doing that, it hinders you from exercising your faith. It hinders me from exercising my faith. How will your faith grow? How will the knowledge of God grow unless we learn to depend on God for everything? Amen? God wants you to love Him more than you love any other person or any other thing. And to find your joy and your peace in Him and Him alone. Your provision in Him and Him alone. And I do believe that one of the things God will do this year for me, and perhaps for you, is destroy crutches. 
idols that we have in our lives. What is an idol? An idol is something that you derive strength from, peace, joy, satisfaction. Pleasure is an idol. Comfort is an idol. Hello? And I pray that God will bring it down so that I may return to my first love. I believe this is the call to the church for this hour. Return to your first love. Who is our first love? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, if you love your son or your daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Amen? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Yes, we honor our parents. We love our children. We love our spouses. But no one can take his place the way we love him. We should love no one else. And that's where God is bringing us. You see, I've noticed, and most of us have experienced that, we come to the Lord often because we have a need or we have a desire or a want. Am I right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. But as I said, there's another dimension of approaching God. We come to Him because we love Him. And we love Him because He first loved us. Even the love that he requires from us is not our own. The Bible says that the love of God, not human love, not conditional love, not I will love you if you love me. No. I love you because of what you do for me. And this is the way we relate to many people. We relate to them because of what they do for us. We call them because we need something from them. When was the last time you called someone to find out how they're doing? <laughs> Without wanting anything from them. Just to say hello and to f find out how they're doing. Do you need prayer? Do you, I'm calling you so that I can minister to you in some area. I don't want anything from you. Good morning, son. How are you doing today? Don't need anything from you. Good morning, brother. How are you today? How are you doing today? How's your day? How was your yesterday? Did you, how was your Christmas? Don't want anything. I'm just calling you because I want, I, want, I want to relate for who you are, not because of what you do for me or don't do for me. The Bible says the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. Amen. When was the last time you called your pastor and you said, Pastor, how are you? How's your wife? How's your children, Pastor? Is there anything that I can pray for you? Has anyone ever done that last week or the week before? Anybody? I don't want to embarrass you. I want to bring something to the forefront of your thinking that we so often relate to other people on the basis 
of what they do for us rather than on the basis of who they are. I relate to you because I honor you. I respect you. Why? Because you've been created in the image and in the likeness of God. Is this how we relate to God? I want to go to God not just because of what He does and what He has done. Praise God. I thank Him for that. But I want to go to God because I love Him. I desire to be with Him. I long for His presence. As David said, my soul longs for you, O God. And my flesh, rather my soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You see, when that happens, we become a fulfillment or a reflection of what the word says in Psalm 27 verse 4. This is one of my favorite verses. David cries out to God and he says, Lord, that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life to behold, to gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. Another translation says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. One thing. One thing. Amen. So, What are you prepared to lose for such a kind of knowledge? That's the question we all need to answer. What am I prepared to sacrifice in order to come to that depth of knowledge? Where no matter what goes on around me, whether I have a good day or a bad day, I find my rest in God. I am thankful. I am content. I'm full of praise to God because I am so wrapped up in His presence that nothing bothers me. You see, such knowledge, I have written it here, such, such knowledge causes you to consistently live in wonder and amazement of His beauty. Have you ever stopped to think why those cherubims around the throne constantly cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Con continually. Why? Because every second they see a new facet of God. And they are so amazed that they cry out of wonder and amazement, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yes, I pray that we will not hesitate to obey and to give up and to lose 
whatever is required, whatever God asks us to. You see, in God's kingdom, we are constantly called to lose in order to gain. That is so contrary and in contrast to the world's way of doing things. In this world, people constantly seek to gain wealth, money, position, prestige, power, influence. That's why you see those people who are in power, they don't want to give it up. They hold it so tight. But in God's kingdom, we are called to lose all of that in order to gain something far more precious, something far more wonderful, and something far more powerful. In fact, Jesus summed it all up in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. He said, So then, any of you who does not forsake, renounce, surrender claim to, give up, say goodbye to all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine if every person in the church have reached that place? Amen. We will bring the kingdom of God on earth in no time at all. And Jesus would come back. Amen. And we will reign with him forever. We are the ones who delay the coming of the kingdom or the coming of Jesus. He cannot come until every word that he has spoken has been fulfilled. The Bible says that heavens are retaining, holding back the Lord from coming back until all things are fulfilled. Amen? Praise God. Are you still with me? Yes, Lord. Thank you. Here is a word of caution that we all need to pay close attention to. The scriptures are very clear that those who share no intimacy with the Lord will not be welcomed into his presence. In fact, they will hear the fearful words, the devastating words from the master's lips. I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So the question perhaps we should be asking is not, do I know the Lord? Or does the Lord know me? Do you know me, Lord? You see, these folks, they came up with this. Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, in your name, we cast out demons. We've done many wonderful things in your name. And he would say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who works lawlessness. The Greek word for lawlessness is anomia, meaning without law, breaking the law, no restraint. In other words, these kind of people, they, they lived a double life one in public and another in private. And how often we've seen some, some well-known ministers of the gospel. They've done wonderful things. They blessed many people with the ministry. They brought deliverance and healings and revelation knowledge. And they taught the church for years. And all of a sudden, it was revealed 
that they lived a double life. And we were shocked and hurt and disappointed. How can this be? How can this person do these things and still live such a, such a sinful and compromised life? You see, let me say this to you. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God does not take back his calling or his gifts. And these gifts will work even if a person lives a double life. Are you listening to me? This is a sobering truth here. Yes. Does the Lord know me? Jesus said they practiced lawlessness. And I've explained what that word is, without law. In other words, they lived a lifestyle that was contrary to the teachings of Christ. They had no fear of God. They were, as Paul calls them, the enemies of the cross of Christ. He even mentions them in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, listen to the apostle speaking, and he says, I say this with tears. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Let me give you an example what these people are like. It's like a woman who marries for money, for position, for influence, and for prestige. She doesn't love the man. She doesn't sleep in the same bed. She has a separate bedroom. But she's still with a man. Why? Because of his money, because of his influence, because of his position. That's why, that's the only reason she's with him. She has no respect for him, no honor. She doesn't love him. She doesn't care about him. All she cares about is his influence, his money, and his position. These are the type of people. They don't care about the will of God. They only care about themselves. Are you listening to me? And you need to be able to discern these kind of people and not be fooled even by signs and by wonders, watch and study their lives. That's why it's, you know, there are so many believers today that they are led and guided by the internet and by people they see on the screen. No, that's not scriptural. God has given you shepherds whom you live with. You need to study their lives. You need to study the walk. You need to see the fruit of the character, not just the gifting and the charisma, but the lifestyle. Amen? Amen. I trust you've learned something. Amen. So this woman is there only for money. 
And some Christians are there only for gain. They think godliness is profitable. <laughs> the Bible says run away from such people. Amen? Praise God. Paul said there were many such people in his day, but I submit to you, my brother, my sister, that there are many in the church today who fit into this category. Amen. So in closing, I want you to notice that in almost every apostolic prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the church that he writes to, he asks only for three things. That's all he asks for. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. What are you asking God for? What are you praying for? What are you seeking? When you pray for your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your brother, for your sister in Christ, what are you asking for? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And I'll explain and give you an example here. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Here is Paul praying. For this reason, he says, we also, since the day we heard it, in other words, heard of your faith, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There it is. Why? Why does he ask? The following verses explains to us why he's asking for these three things. And he's not asking for anything else. He's not asking for provision. He's not asking for them to be healthy. He's not asking for them to, to, to live a life that... Just these three things. And he says, why? So that you may walk... What? So that you may walk, say it out loud, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, not partially, fully pleasing the Lord. And what else? That you may be fruitful in every good work. Can you imagine that? that we become so fruitful and God gets so much glory. Not just some works, but every good work. And then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And when that happens, you are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience. Ah, how much, I don't know, but I need a lot of patience. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Amen? Do you see why he's asking for these three things? Because when you have these three, three most valuable commodities on the face of the earth is wisdom from God, knowledge, and understanding. 
So from here on, don't ask for anything else. When you pray for me, just pray. When you pray for your pastor and, and, and all the, the stuff, you pray. Simple prayer. You can pray it in two minutes. Lord, bless my pastors this morning. Before you pray for yourself, bless my pastors this morning, Lord. Fill them with the knowledge of your will, Father, in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding that they may walk worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing you and being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God and strengthened with all power. And then go on, pray for yourself. Amen? Pray for the leaders of the nation. What? Three things. Oh, how desperately we need wisdom. How desperately our leaders need wisdom and knowledge and understanding because they're making a mess of things. But if they had the wisdom of God, they would not make the decisions they made. And we would be, and the people would be much, much, much happier. Amen? And finally, I want to close today's teaching with one more scripture from Jeremiah 3, 14 and 15. God is speaking through the mouth of Jeremiah to his people, and he says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Now listen to this. And I says the Lord, will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with what? With hype? With emotionalism? With deception? With lies? No. This is the primary ministry of the shepherd who has God's heart for his people. He studies, he prays, he fasts so that he may gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to feed his flock. So you can see God's heart in this matter. Amen? He will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now let me say this, as for me and my ministry, this is the only single reason I exist. This ministry exists for this one reason. I may not perform miracles or have the gifts of healing, but I want to exist so that I can feed God's people with wisdom and knowledge to see you prosper, to see you fruitful in every good work so that through your life, because you're blessed with such wisdom and knowledge, you stand out and you bring so much fruit and God, our Father, gets all the glory. Amen? And this is my prayer. Let's stand and close that God would create such a desire within you, such a passionate desire, that you would seek Him more than food, more than wealth, more than position, 
more than any other thing in your life. Lord, give me that heart that will run after you. For my soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you. Father, may you bless your people today with such wisdom, knowledge, and understanding so that we may together walk worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing you and being fruitful, Lord, in every good work as you strengthen us with all might with your glorious spirit within unto all patience and long-suffering with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.